afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here today with the Minister of Health, Jason Copping, and Dr. John Cowell to give you an update on our health care action plan. Alberta's health care system is struggling, and we promised that, we, that help was on the way. We restructured Alberta Health Services and appointed Dr. John Cowell as official administrator, and after 90 days, we're delivering results. Three months ago, we put our ambitious plan in motion to reduce wait times because the status quo wasn't working. Albertans young and old were waiting way too long to get care. We've all heard the horror stories of sick, stressed, and scared people spending hours in crowded ERs hoping desperately for their names to be called. It's a tremendous strain on patients and families and on our frontline healthcare workers. And the delays aren't limited to emergency treatment. Thousands of Albertans are living in pain, putting their lives on hold while waiting for surgery. Sometimes those waits can be months and sometimes more than a year. 911 services have also been hit by longer response times, and it's nerve-shattering to stay on the line while someone you love goes through a medical crisis in front of you. Albertans deserve better. We have top-notch frontline healthcare workers from paramedics and nurses to doctors and surgeons, along with thousands of brilliant support workers, and they are just as tired as everyone else. They want to see real change, and we're providing it because they deserve better, too. I was clear from day one that government will do everything we can to fix the healthcare system. This is about taking a different, more hands-on approach. Problems in the AHS bureaucracy have been going on for a long time, dragging the whole system down. And we've seen that throwing more taxpayer money at these problems didn't make them go away. Wait times continue to creep up to unacceptable levels. We know Albertans want faster care with more accountability and fewer excuses. That's why we hired Dr. Cowell to work with our health professionals to push resources and as much decision-making as possible down to the front line, to the experts where they belong. And I'm happy to say that it appears our approach is working. The numbers are trending in the right direction. Over the last 90 days, Alberta has seen a decrease in provincial averages for ambulances and emergency room wait times. We changed the way non-emergency calls were handled to free up paramedics. Red alerts for ambulances are substantially down in Edmonton and Calgary compared with November. That means more ambulances are available to respond to urgent calls sooner. And AHS opened 225 more hospital beds and created more spaces and other care facilities so patients can move faster from the ER to treatment space to the, uh, the treatment spaces that they need. We found ways to get more operating rooms up and running so that more Albertans can get surgeries faster and can get them within clinically acceptable times. Thanks to a little innovation and a lot of listening to healthcare workers, we got a lot done in the last three months. But we still have a lot more to do, and we will not stop pushing until healthcare is accessible to every single Albertan. We will put it in the work to get this right so Albertans can get the care they need when they need it. And we will continue until there are fewer stories of pain and suffering at moments when Albertans need help and healing. I'm looking forward to keeping you updated as we continue improving health care at every level. I'm also pleased to report that Alberta has offered its support in principle for the federal proposal on health care funding, which was announced this morning through a joint federal news release. This agreement in principle will invest $24.18 billion in federal funding over 10 years in Alberta, including $2.92 billion for a new bilateral agreement focused on health care uh, uh, priorities, 
such as access to high-quality family health services, including in rural and remote areas in underserved communities. Number two, supporting our health workforce to further enable them to provide high-quality, effective, and safe health care services. Number three, access to timely, equitable, and quality mental health, substance use, and addiction services. And finally, helping Canadians age with dignity closer to home with access to quality home care or care in a safe long-term care facility. We are also pleased to be receiving $233 million in a one-time Canada Health transfer top-up to address urgent needs in pediatric hospitals and emergency rooms, as well as long uh, wait times for surgeries. And while the final proposal was far less than what the premiers of the provinces and territories were requesting, the extra funding will be used towards health care actions already underway. This is a productive first step, and I look forward to continued discussions with the Government of Canada on how we can achieve long-term sustainable funding. We are also pleased that the vast majority of federal health funding will continue to be through the Canada Health Transfer, which is delivered on an equal per capita basis with no strings attached. Minister of Mental Health and Addiction Nick Milliken, Minister Jason Copping, and I recently had the opportunity to highlight Alberta's health care reforms, including in mental health and addictions, and emergency wait times with Federal Minister of Health Jean-Yves Duclos and Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, Infrastructure and Communities Dominic Leblanc. While important details still need to be discussed, we are confident that Alberta will be provided sufficient policy flexibility under the agreement to deliver in areas of shared interest. We're also glad to see that the Government of Canada will work with Alberta to streamline foreign credentials recognition for internationally educated health professionals and assist with labour mobility for health professionals. Our government has a very ambitious agenda to improve health care outcomes in this province. This agreement in principle will support our efforts to deliver on the priorities we are discussing today to ensure Albertans can access world-class health care when and where they need it. Minister Jason Copping and Dr. John Cowell have more details to share on the progress we've made so far, so I will first turn things over to Minister Copping. Minister Copping, take it away. Great. Thanks so much, Premier, and, and good afternoon, everyone. Over the past three months, we have been rolling out our actions to improve access to health care and address the four priority goals in the Health Care Action Plan. From expanding capacity to orthopedic surgeries in Calgary to launching a new program for non-emergency facility transfers, freeing additional ambulances to respond to more emergency calls, AHS has taken a number of steps forward since November. And today I am pleased to share some of the signs of improvements we are seeing in our health care system. The new year started in a positive direction. In January, more Albertans were able to get emergency care sooner when they called an ambulance or visited the emergency department. The number of patients waiting longer for surgery than clinically recommended has dropped by 9.4% since November. As of November of last year, over 39,200 people were waiting too long for the surgeries they needed. As of last Monday, that number has been reduced to about 35,500. This is a remarkable decrease, and it demonstrates the strides we are taking to deliver on our promise to reduce wait times. I know we have focused on the overall wait time list for the past few years, but we need a more targeted metric for that area of the healthcare system. By narrowing our focus to those waiting too long outside the recommended wait times, we can both measure the positive change the reforms are making and help all Albertans see better overall health outcomes. I'm also happy to report that we are putting more ambulances on the road and adding more frontline staff where we can. 
Early indications show that the work of Dr. Cowell's team and the recommendations from Alberta's EMS Advisory Committee are helping. For instance, the number of red alerts issued for EMS in Edmonton and Calgary has dropped significantly over the last three months, as mentioned by the Premier. In January alone, Edmonton has seen a 92% reduction compared to January of 2022. Calgary has seen a 59% reduction over the same time period. These early trends show we are headed in the right direction. More healthcare workers are now available to help Albertans and more hospital beds are open. AHS added nearly 400 frontline and support workers since November, including doctors, allied health professionals, registered nurses, and EMS staff. And more help is on the way. AHS is planning to hire an additional 420 frontline and support workers and dedicated emergency department teams in the coming days and weeks to improve patient flow and streamline transfers from paramedics to emergency department care. And more good news is coming tomorrow. Budget 2023, if passed, would show a number of funding increase to further support the Health Care Action Plan. We are also starting to turn the corner, particularly after a tough winter that has challenged our health care system. But we know we are just starting down the path to making meaningful long-term change. There is more work to be done. There will especially be increased focus on some rural communities that have been in the greatest need for healthcare supports close to home. We know that we are dealing with complex challenges in the healthcare system that were decades in the making. We promised Albertans a stronger, stronger publicly funded health system with better access to care, and we are delivering on that promise. We are putting the supports in place to act on immediate reforms and plan for long-term shifts to ease system constraints. Under the leadership of Dr. Cowell, AHS took concrete steps to implement all the priority actions that are part of the Health Care Action Plan. And we are pleased with these positive results over the past three months, and Budget 23 would provide more support for the health care system if passed. Now, pressures in the, in the health care system still remain, but Alberta is on the right track to build a stronger, publicly funded health system that is more accountable and more responsive to patient needs. Significant progress has been made in a, made in a very short period of time, and I look forward to seeing more significant change in the coming months. And with that, I'll turn things over to uh, Dr. Cowell to provide more detail on the changes that are being made and, and what's coming. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Minister, and thank you very much, Premier Smith, and good afternoon to everyone. Um, I'm pleased to be here today and report to Albertans about the progress and improvements made at Alberta Health Services during my first 90 days as the official administrator. These 90 days have been very intense and very busy. This is a very full report uh, with lots of details and descriptive narrative and good information. I hope you take the time to read it and to read the background. <clears throat> Today I'm going to walk you through some of it, not all of it, just hitting on some of the highlights. And I want to start with a belief statement. When I started at Albert Health Services in November, I was told that this was a system in crisis and a broken organization, and I didn't really know what to expect. I am here today, however, to tell you that AHS is not in crisis and is not broken. This report 
today backs up that statement. <clears throat> Having said that, however, we remain in a very aware that COVID challenge is not gone. It still remains with us, as the other infectious diseases are. And there is still a lot more to be done to bring our system up to full capacity and full performance. But I would like to say to Albertans, I believe you should have renewed confidence in AHS, providing care appropriately in a timely way and safely. I've been in healthcare a long time in many different capacities to know that long-term sustainable transformation of a public healthcare system requires the focused efforts of healthcare teams as well as their partners and stakeholders. <clears throat> over a period of time measured in months and years, not just days. There is no magic wand. It takes many small improvements taken together over time to see real measurable change. That being said, when healthcare teams approach challenges with urgency and commitment to <clears throat> expediently achieve tangible, measurable improvements, this can be done quickly with teams that work well together and trust each other. I am honored that Premier Smith and Minister Copping asked me last November to be involved in the government's health care action plan and execute and oversee an immediate 90-day plan to improve Albert Health Services. And today with the release of our 90-day report, I fulfill my promise promise to Albertans to report on what we've achieved to date. It's important to acknowledge that AHS, the Government of Alberta and the Ministry of Health had already identified a number of priority areas in the months prior to my appointment and with those joint efforts achieving measurable progress. However, we are now building on the initiatives undertaken between January and October of last year, such as cutting the wait list for adults by 12% through the Alberta Surgical Initiative, opening more than 1,000 new continuing care beds and 50 fully staffed ICU beds, putting 19 additional staffed ambulances on our roads. All of these achievements provided a foundation for the rapid implementation of the reforms that I have now been leading and are underway. Now, before I share the specific details about the progress we made in my first 90 days, I want to remind everybody about our four priority areas for improvement. Improving EMS response times, decreasing emergency department wait times, improving patient flow throughout the healthcare continuum, and reducing wait times for surgeries. These priorities were not chosen at random. Performance measured related to the four priorities that we now use are set up at the 90th percentile. Moving to the 90th percentile is much more meaningful in showing improvement in quality than at the 50th percentile, which many other jurisdictions, and including us, report. This means our results reflect 90% of the time, not 50% of the time. <clears throat> from my experience and from the feedback Minister Copping received during his health engagement tour of the province last year, these are the health care issues that matter most to Albertans. They matter to the Premier, to the Minister, and myself. Throughout, 
through actions outlined in this report, we are working diligently to attract and retain healthcare professionals, support local decision making and innovation through improved decision making culture and streamlined processes. We are striving for what we call a just and trusting culture. This crucial uh, step is fundamental to having a successful healthcare improvement, a system that embraces continual improvement. Alberta Health Service is a vital provincial asset. It must be well resourced and requires constant attention and continual improvement to ensure it serves all Albertans equitably. I can tell you Alberta Health Service has my constant attention as well as the constant attention of our Premier and Minister Copping. And thanks to uh, the efforts of our world-class healthcare workers, we are seeing significant improvement uh, in our performance. I can tell you also that I work extremely well with our interim CEO, Mauro Chiaz, whom I'm glad to see today in the audience in case you ask me a tricky question that I can't answer. <clears throat> um, and every day I see the hard work and dedication of the leadership at AHS and the astonishing commitment and efforts of our frontline teams. I just want to acknowledge that hard work and commitment today. You know, I had a wonderful experience a couple of Tuesdays ago. I retraced my steps from the front door of the Emerge right through to the ward and then back out. And it was just like so emotional. I can't tell you when you come back and meet your healthcare providers who looked after you so well. So I'm going to start with um, EMS response times. And I will reference a few specific results, but the report, as I said before, is loaded with actual information, verifiable, fact-checked every way we can think. And again, the backgrounder has many more details. A lot of work has gone into improving EMS response times despite event volumes that have increased up to 30% since the start of the pandemic. Today's report comparing performance measures in November 22, when we got started with this, and January 23. And by the way, I get results now every month, month on month, and we look comparing each month's improvement seven days after the previous month. So if I'm back visiting with you again in a few months, I'll have even more months to talk about with you. Um, Looking at the response times for the most urgent calls, they've improved across the board. Minutes, by the way, are incredibly important in these response times. Minutes mean lives, minutes means reduced harm. I can say to you, and if you, you'll see it in the report, that we're now at 17 minutes at the 90th percentile for metro and urban areas, which is five minutes faster than it was in November. And I can say we're going to relentlessly drive that number to a quicker and quicker outcome. We're three minutes faster in communities over 3,000, and we're six minutes faster out there in the remote areas. That's a real measurable achievement that will save lives. And when we release our June and September targets, you will see that we've set very aggressive targets for us to continuously improve those numbers. Over the same time, the 
time period, the number and duration of EMS red alerts, which indicated a lack of ambulance availability at a particular point of time, were substantially reduced. But let's be crystal clear, what is a red alert? Red alerts don't mean there are no ambulances. It means that for a very short period of time, the ambulances are dedicated to life-threatening responses. And then it reverts back to all ambulances being available for even the less urgent calls. So how are we doing this? Well, <clears throat> as you noticed, with the full support of the government, we've added ambulances, hired hundreds of new staff, with more ambulance and staff to be added even now. Additional resources have led to better EMS coverage and improved response times in suburban and rural areas, I've, I have noted, and our targets are going to get tighter. I should note our work on the EMS file includes a host of other strategies, some of which I have met with you and discussed, and initiatives designed to maximize the efficiency of our existing resources. Adding resources in our emergency departments to expedite transfer of patients from EMS to acute care and getting those ambulances back on the road. You'll remember in the APEC report, they were calling for 45 minutes. Well, I can tell you we're going to make that. And that 45 minutes is only going to be enough time so that the crews can clean their ambulances, do their charting, have a break, and get back on the road. None of that time is going to be about transferring patient care. We're going to get that as close to real time as possible, and I'm going to tell you how we're going to do that in a minute. Stopping automatic dispatches to non-injury motor vehicle collisions has really added, again, resources, keeping our resources in action. That wonderful announcement we made several weeks ago using the Health Link and PADIS services to support EMS callers whose health needs don't require an ambulance. If we get it right, we're thinking we're going to get close to 40,000 trips that are no longer necessary for the acute level uh, ambulances. That is an astonishing, the effective use of our fleet. And arranging for non-clinical transports for patients who do not require medical support during transport between care facilities and helping Albertans have access to transportation to get them home safely and efficiently after discharge, whether from the ward or from the ER. That was one of our earlier, earlier announcements, and I can now tell you there are now more than 4,000 months, uh, 4, trips monthly that we pay for, Premier. And this is being provided by more than 160 approved partners throughout the province. What a response we got from our community. <clears throat> so let's move on to decreasing emergency department wait times. We're also making progress in reducing emergency department wait times. Today's report shows that province-wide from November to January, emergency department wait times to see a doctor has been reduced by 10%. And that is something that's really hard to do, and we are going to continuously work on reducing that amount of time. 10% is a good start. Total time spent in the emergency department for admitted patients has been reduced by 5%. And um, remember what that looks like. When you are trying to assess somebody in an emergency department who are quite ill or might have multiple comorbidities, these are not easy diagnostic challenges. 
So they need to take time. They need to be done correctly. We need to bring all the important lab and technology to bear. We're not going to rush it. We're going to take as much time as is needed to make that diagnosis for admission. Having said that, we're still having challenges with our emergency inpatients, and we need to reduce that population by having our acute care beds available in a shorter period of time. And we are making some progress there, and I'll speak to that, and it's in the report. The total time for emergency department for discharged patients is down a little bit, and we think we can re reduce that some more. But again, I'm not going to rush that. We need to be smart about our diagnoses. When people make the effort of coming to the emergency department, they're going to get the best care we can give them in the required amount of time to make good clinical judgment. I'm confident, however, these numbers will continue to improve through other actions we're taking to reduce ED times. I'm so pleased to announce that we're adding 114 full-time equivalent nursing staff to our emergency departments to improve flow. That's part of the reason why I can assure you that the offload time, the time it takes for the paramedics to transfer care to the ED clinical staff is going to go as close to real time as possible. Five to 10 minutes, let's say. We're using allied health professionals, including social workers, physiotherapists, and others to really be in the OR to aid the diagnosis and the treatment to support quicker assessment and discharge of elderly and frail patient populations. Our bridge healing process uh, procedures up in Edmonton are finally getting underway for the homeless in the Royal Alexander Hospital. It's going to be absolutely a wonderful addition. And if that goes well, we're going to be spreading that everywhere we can throughout our province. And the big challenge we do face in the emergency, and it's going to be something that we, well, we are tackling, and that's how to bring our specialists into the OR or, or even keep them there so that we don't have to wait on the arrival of a specialist to come and confirm what the emergency department diagnosis is. That will remain a challenge, and that goes directly to the availability of our professional staff. But we're meeting it, and we're dealing with it. Improving patient flow throughout the healthcare continuum We've also improved patient flow throughout the continuum by opening more acute care beds, and very specific numbers are in the report, and continuing care spaces, and hiring more frontline health care providers where they're needed most. And with the achievements that the Minister and the Premier have had with their, their significant uh, numbers that are flowing, for us to do significant hiring is going to be so welcome. In, t in the period between November and January, the number of assessed patients waiting in our province's top 14 hospitals for continuing space has been reduced by 30. 14, not 16, because two of those hospitals are children's hospitals. So that's why I'm reporting the 30% improvement in the 14 purely adult hospitals. The report also outlines how over this 90-day period, we've added 55 new long-term care beds, 292 designated supportive living beds and 52 new addition, addiction and mental health beds. Since September, an average of 255 net new non-ICU Q-Core beds have been opened across the province. That's a terrific number, and it drives our total now to well over 6,000. As many of you know, recruiting healthcare professionals is a challenge. 
for health jurisdictions around the world, especially in two rural communities. And so we do still have quite a few vacancies to fill and working very hard to attract and retain our workforce. And as I said, this is going to be helped immeasurably by the government of Alberta's health workplace strategy. $158 million to strengthen programs and attract and retrain rural physicians, and so on. We're targeting recruitment uh, internationally, U.S. and the U.K. You know, the signed agreement of the Alberta Medical Association to address underserviced areas is going to be so helpful to the function of Alberta Health Services with a more robust primary care and community care resource. I personally reached out, by the way, to the deans of the medical schools and look forward to meeting the deans of nursing, pharmacy, and allied health professionals, discussing workplace strategies and team-based care as part of their curricula. You know, I started my career in team-based uh, primary care in 1972. It's a great idea and one which has slowly uh, found its way into the primary care sector, and we're on the verge of bursting it onto our our community. It's going to be wonderful to see. Reducing wait times for surgeries. Finally, let me talk a little bit about our progress there. As many of you know, the pandemic played havoc with the surgical planning. As many elective surgeries were postponed at the height of the many COVID waves that we endured in our society. Today, we're virtually back at our, to our pre-pandemic surgical volumes. And our surgical wait list is about the same as it was before pandemic, but much below the peak during COVID. <clears throat> um, by March 31 this year, it is anticipated that uh, along with our own robust in-house surgical capacity, which we're driving very hard, and we've opened new surgeries, um, and along with the charter surgical facilities that act in a way like surge capacity for us. We'll see a total of 290,000 completed surgeries. Can you imagine that number, 290,000? That is a lot of surgeries. And that's 11,400 surgeries, or 4% higher than last year. Our primary focus is to complete the surgeries for those who are waiting outside of clinical recommended wait times. This is the most important number that we're driving hard. We want everybody inside the clinically recommended guidelines, and it is my hope and actually believe that we will be at zero waiting outside of clinical wait times by March of 2024. Nobody will be outside of clinically waited wait times. <clears throat> my team and I are absolutely confident that this is achievable. The number of patients waiting the longest relative to their clinically recommended wait times have been decreased by 30% this fiscal year. It's absolutely important that we got those dealt with first, and over 800 that were waiting the longest have been taken care of in the last couple of months. <clears throat> At the end of January, um, because we're prioritizing cancer surgeries, of course, they were up 11% compared to the equivalent time frame pre-pandemic 2018-19. To build further momentum, we've contracted private surgical facilities to perform 6,000 additional publicly funded orthopedic surgeries and 30,000 additional ophthalmological surgeries, helping more Albertans 
get those procedures done with clinically appropriate, within clinically appropriate time frames and freeing capacity in the public system. The accredited orthopedic chartered surgical facilities are contracted to perform appropriate surgeries. They can't just do any. They can do what they're accredited to do, and these are less acute, less urgent surgeries, but they're very painful. People with sore hips and sore knees want to get them done, and boy, we know it. And those are the surgeries that we are going to do in these privately owned and operated surgery, surgeries. But by our surgeons, our anesthetists, paid for by the publicly funded system, this is not parallel private health care system. This is taking full advantage of community resources with our teams, and we're going to assign these surgeries through our centralized booking system. <clears throat> so it'll be a seamless use of this reserve, this surge capacity that sits in the community. Um, I also want to give a shout out to our foundation partners in the government because they, through their help, we've been able to open a fifth surgical suite at the lowest hole hospital for women that will add up another 1,200 add up to another 1,200 additional surgical procedures annually. That's up in Edmonton. And added in an orthopedic surgery program in Hinton, another community is part of the Northern Initiative that will add capacity for approximately 200 additional knee and hip surgeries every year in the North. We're also in the progress, process of upgrading the surgical suites at Northern Lights Regional Health Center in Fort Mac. Again, we have more work to do and, but over the past few months, we have made tangible and measurable progress. So in conclusion, I'd like to close on a bit of a personal note. My ability to hit the ground running at AHS came from my previous service in the same role years ago, along with my training as a specialist physician in occupational medicine and family medicine, leadership of the Health Quality Council of Alberta, and experienced in many executive roles over the many years. Like many Albertans, my family and I have had personal experience of seeking health care, and I have cultivated deep empathy for patients who are in the system or trying to access it for treatment of their injuries and their illnesses. This is important work for me because I know it will impact every Albertan, everybody in this room at some point in time, at some phase in their life. There are further improvements, of course, that must be made at Alberta Health Services. We've gotten to, off to a great start in these nine months, I mean these 90 days, based on a great platform, but we've got more work to do, of course. During my time, we reviewed existing performance measures to ensure they can appropriately measure necessary progress in the four priority areas. We've established a baseline to measure our progress against, and we've set those Baselines November 22, 2018-19, and 2017-18. So we know, because we're using measures that are valid all through these time frames, how well we're doing against the past, and we're setting valid targets now for what can we achieve in the future. So shortly, we will be announcing our June and September targets and our health plan three-year targets. We now have enough data to know rationally what our targets can look like. So I want to emphasize one last time because I really want you to understand 
performance measures related to the four priority areas that we use for internal management purposes have been adjusted from measuring the 50th to measuring the 90th, and we are going to publish it the 90th as well as the 50th, so you know what we're doing. We note this in the report for the EMS results as well as the ED wait time. Um, <clears throat> of course, going to the 90th sets the bar higher for our performance, but that's as it should be because this is where you have meaningful improvement in the quality of care. We're accountable to Albertans, and I am pleased to say uh, that over the last 90 days, we've made these tangible and measurable results and have laid the groundwork for more improvements to come. We moved with urgency. We moved strategically and tactically, and we will continue to focus on and improve the areas of healthcare system that matter most to Albertans. I want to close by saying again, and to recognize the hard work and ingenuity of our healthcare workers, those with whom I have worked very closely in the executive team since taking on this role, and I have to tell you that they are working very, very hard on making the necessary improvements in the system. I want to recognize those on the front lines, those supporting frontline care and our leadership for putting plans into actions. I've had the privilege of visiting many hospitals and watching them in action. We, say, we keep saying how wonderful they are. Well, I can tell you I'm firsthand witness they are very wonderful. <clears throat> Turning action into the health system improvements, you know, that we're talking about today could not be done without all of them pulling together. <clears throat> so to our teams across Alberta Health Services, thank you for everything you do every day for patients, for families, and for the sustainability of a safe, high-quality health care for all Albertans. <clears throat> and to everyone here today, thank you for your continued interest in Alberta Health Services. All right, thanks, everybody. We'll go to Q&A. We have some questions in the room, then I'll head to the phones. Can you please start by saying your name, outlet, and one question, one follow-up? Uh, who wants to go first? Go ahead. I'll go first. I'll go to the mail. I guess I'm just a bit confused, so correct me if I'm wrong. So when Dr. Cowell was hired on this huge part of that role was to develop some sort of long-term plan for healthcare reform. I think I wrote at the time that you were recruiting two people to work with you to figure out kind of what problems were in the healthcare system and how we could improve in those long-term. We have a lot of staff here, but I'm not really seeing that long-term plan for healthcare reform. Maybe a little bit in the local decision-making and innovation part, but can you speak a bit more to that? You're talking about <clears throat> the we're releasing the one-year business plan and the three-year health plan actually within the next couple of weeks. So everything I've told you today, sure, it focused on laying the foundation for that, but also the achievements that we did in the last 90 days. But what's coming very shortly are the longer term. This is a question from Mr. Coffin, but that 12-person AHS board, in theory that was coming back, is that still happening and is still <coughs> So the short answer is yes. As you know, we've, we were ongoing uh, CEO search for a uh, permanent CEO, so that, that is going, and we expect to be able to uh, uh, get a recommendation from Dr. Cowell and, and his, uh, um, his committee uh, on, on, on that in the, uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, and then we're also planning to, um, to reinstate the board. We're still working through the, the timing, and, and then what that actually is going to look like, and do we need to change roles and responsibilities, so we're working, we're, we're working through that right now, and, and, uh, and stay tuned. Uh, Tiffany Goodwin, uh, City News. Uh, throughout this press conference, you guys have spoken about ways you're improving access to care and reducing wait times. 
I'm just curious to know uh, what is being done about lab services. Right now in Calgary, the earliest many Albertans can get in for an appointment. Uh, we have screenshots this morning. It was in late Mar March and even April. Uh, this is delaying treatment uh, for Albertans. Uh, why is this happening? And are you having any conversations with the contractor, Dynalab, uh, about these wait times and why they are so long? So, so I can start that, and uh, Dr. Cowley, you want to uh, to to, uh, to weigh in on that. So we are continuing, like as you know, um, you know, Dynalife has taken over the contract to provide community-based service, and uh, and APL provides much of the current services within um, the uh, the hospitals as they as they did previously. Um, you know, there is some transition piece, right? Uh, but we are working with Dynalife to uh, to not only invest in increasing capacity. Uh, but to be able to reduce those uh, those uh, wait times there, they, they are like um, many of our healthcare um, uh, professionals that like, like they are dealing with some of the same challenges that the broader healthcare system is in terms of in terms of staffing. Um, so it's not only about you know nurses and, and doctors and, and paramedics, but it's also about uh, technicians. Um, so as, as you know, in, in budget uh, 2022, uh, we expanded uh, the. Um, number of seats for training for uh, a whole variety of healthcare pro professionals and we can continue to do that so we'll work to be able to provide the uh, build capacity within not only our broader healthcare system but that includes our uh, our testing so that people can get uh, testing results sooner so they can get the diagnosis and they get the treatments that they need faster I don't know Dr. Kyle if you want to provide any more comment it wasn't uh, specific to one of my four priorities but I'm certainly aware of your concern um, our CEO, who knows a lot about labs here, maybe he'd like to give you an answer towards that. <clears throat> I think Minister Coffing actually covered it quite well. When you look at the transition of employees that we've got, we have approximately 1,200 APL employees that went over to DynLife. So now we're adopting their systems, their metrics, their booking systems, and all that. So. The, the, the bigger transition took place December 5th, so we're about 60 days into it, so we expected some bumps as we go forward. As they start to smooth line those out, get trained into the systems and a little more accustomed with them, we'll see the wait times get back to where Calgary was used to before. In Edmonton, we don't see them because they've already been Dynalife sites, and once they get transitioned appropriately to those systems, they'll see improvements for sure. Do you have a follow-up? <clears throat> What would you say to someone who's having to wait over a month or around a month uh, just to get a simple blood test right now in Calgary? So help is coming. That, that, that's, you know, we, we understand that there's challenges right, right now, as, as uh, uh, Moral Key has indicated. Um, you know, there, there is some transition that's going on, but we'll, we'll get through this period of time right now. But the reality is, is that we, we move forward on the, the intent behind this was actually to improve access to care and access to this. It, it, it will work, um, but as we're doing the transition right now, it's, 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 it's challenging. And we also, as I said, the health human resources, you know, impacts um, all of the services that we provide, and we're continuing to work away on that. Go ahead, Rick. Rick Bell, Calgary Sun. <coughs> Question for Premier Smith. Anybody else can jump in if they want, of course. But, you know, you were elected in part as leader of the UCP and Premier because you were a critic of how the healthcare system was operating, and you were a critic of Alberta Health Services, a very vocal critic. Uh, I have also been a vocal critic, so we share that. And my experiences, sadly, are not as as wonderful as Dr. Cowles has been. I know a lot about long waiting lists, long waiting lists, including still being on. Um, 
How do you assure Albertans? And I've sat through press conferences like mm -hmm. this at the beginning of time, except nobody here is eating a cookie this time, if you know that reference. Uh, how do you assure Albertans that this is not just more uh, one of the many healthcare transformation press conferences that have gone on when Dr. Collins was the health quality consultant before, that have gone on largely since I've been around, at least 32 years, where people promise we have this going down, that's going down, cataracts were bad, now cataracts are good, now they're not so good, but we're going to get them better. And, and, and the same thing with all of these other things. How do you assure Albertans that this is a serious venture, that this will be long, uh, short, medium, and long-term change that will be real, particularly since you were a critic of how the system was operating yeah. until a very short time ago? I mean, part of what I walked into in October was the, the concerns from all of our health professionals that the system was on the brink of collapse. That was the language that was being used, that it was in crisis, it was going to collapse. And so when I came in, there, we absolutely had to take immediate action. And I think you heard Dr. Cowell today, the system's not in crisis, it's not going to collapse. We've developed surge capacity. We're increasing the capacity across all entry points into the system, whether it's ambulance, whether it's telehealth, whether it's going to an emergency room, whether it's a surgical wait time. Those things are, are tangible because we're seeing the numbers go down and we're seeing that the language in how people are talking about the system has changed. Uh, people now have confidence and I think that they have confidence in the senior executive team because the senior executive team has been supported by Dr. Cowell. Dr. Cowell has been supported by both Minister Copping and myself. And that was the immediate goal, is that we know that we're not through the COVID crisis, that uh, this is the time of year where you can end up with a second surge. And we needed to get the system to a point where it could handle that second surge. And that was a question I put to Dr. Cowell today. If we do have another surge, are we, are we prepared for it? And his answer was yes, and I'll let him answer that as well. So that was the immediate, um, uh, the immediate concern we have. And I think my perspective is that we've made so much progress we should just keep on going. If we can get to a point where no one has a long wait when they get taken to an ambulance to a hospital because it's really just a very quick handoff and then the ambulance can get out, that will be a lived experience that people will be able to share and say, hey, that was different than last time. If we, as Dr. Cowell has put forward as a very aggressive goal, that no one would be waiting on our list longer than medically recommended a year from now, like that's a pretty aggressive target. And I'm mindful of the fact that he wouldn't make that kind of projection unless he felt it was possible to do. And so we have already started making significant progress in 90 days. And the fact that he has confidence in his team, that's going to continue. Why would we stop? We're going to keep on going with that. So I think in some ways we wanted to give a, some sense of confidence for people because I don't think that they've had confidence in the last two and a half years every time we've ended up with the surge in respiratory viruses. And we wanted people to have confidence that the system's going to be there for them and also make sure that we could show already in 90 days some tangible improvement. And that shows that the system's working. It shows that the health professionals are getting confidence. It shows that there's incremental improvement happening across every one of our health facilities. People, are, I think, are feeling excited again to go to work. They're feeling supported. And that will change the, the, the direction and the trajectory. And I, I, so I feel confident. Um, and so we'll keep on giving these updates. And we'll, as uh, Dr. Dr. Cowell said, have uh, June targets and, and March targets. 
But the, the fact that we're having this, this conference today with a very different tone than the first one, I think, is a, the measure of the improvement for me. Dr. Kell, did you want to comment on that? Well, everything you say I support. I mean, Rick, you know, <laughs> I used to be pretty critical of the system back in the day. And for me to say something as bold as I've just said, you have to know I have confidence that it can happen. And so my reputation is on the line when I say something like that. And I would only say it if I, if I believed it. And I truly believe that we are going to be able to get people who are waiting outside of clinically recommended guidelines within the next year inside those guidelines. And that's going to take an awful lot of work, but we're, so, we're already four months in showing month-on-month -month improvements. Um, and there's lots more I could be discussing today, but I'm not ready to show it because I only want to reveal measurable results, not promises. So that's why this report's got a lot of actual numbers in it. And when we set that goal at 90%, we weren't fooling around. That is a true goal. That gets rid of those horrible long waits that people were enduring. They're unacceptable. It doesn't mean any of the six quality measures that their quality uh, statements that I said back in the quality council days. So I know you have a right to be cynical and a little bit doubtful. Don't blame you, but um, I'm cautiously optimistic. And when I arrived on the, on the doorstep back in November, I honestly didn't know what to expect. I was wearing a dark black suit. I went to blue today because I'm feeling a little bit better. And it's, it's meaningful. So... Yeah, there will be cynical thoughts out there. There will be doubts. But I share the doubts only in the sense of we still got more work to do. So we need more runway. And so the next three months are going to be critical to keep showing you results month on month. And the interim CEO is sitting there listening, and he's not twitching, so I think he must be feeling pretty confident too. And, and, and if I can add, you know, what might be different this time is – you manage what you measure. So we're, we are, you know, here at 90 days to say these are the metrics. We're going to be holding ourselves accountable to the, met, the metrics, and we expect Albertans to hold us accountable to the metrics as well. Yeah. Um, and quite frankly, we're putting our money where our mouths are, right? Not only a significant increase in funding to be able to build capacity in the system like in the last budget, but stay tuned for tomorrow. Go ahead. And uh, supplementary, again, anybody, but I'll start with Premier. How do you, especially with the election coming up fairly soon, I believe, um, how will you deal with the people who inevitably will come forward with stories? They always mm -hmm. have about their personal circumstances, which are not, which they will claim are not reflected in these improving numbers. So they could come forward and say they've been on the wait list at the beginning of time, or they can say they were in emergency room at the foothills for hours and hours upon hours, and they will come forward, and they will be in the news, and they will be in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And how will you be able to, and probably around election time too, mm -hmm. uh, how will you respond to, to that sort of thing with people coming forward with individual stories that are, like the lab story that was quoted, you know, individual stories on anything that are not as uh, optimistic as this uh, report. We have to be sympathetic. The, the fact of the matter is that even though we have fewer patients who are waiting outside the medically recommended period of time, there's still 35,000 Albertans on that list. And 
the uh, it, what a what a great thing it would be to celebrate a year from now if that number is down to zero, as uh, as Dr. John has has predicted. And so, all all we can uh, do at at this point is because it's a it's a problem that has been probably two decades in the making, and whatever efforts have been made before to turn things around haven't been sufficient. And so we we had to make sure that we identified the right measures and that we're showing continual improvement. And and quite frankly, my expectations have been exceeded. I didn't know how much progress we'd make in 90 days. But the the fact that uh, Dr. Cowell really feels like he's getting buy-in from the people who have to deliver on services, I just think that with each passing month, and now that we do have the ability to give these metrics each passing month, that, that will be the measure. So we don't have the election until the end of May, so we have March and April, at least a couple more reporting periods, and May, a couple more reporting periods, so people will be able to hold us to account based on what they see. But we know that um, anytime any person is in need of health care and can't get it in a timely way, it causes stress to them, causes stress to the family. And so that's why we are, we are all committed to making sure that those numbers get as low as possible as fast as possible. It can't, can't be done immediately, but we, we are making progress with, uh, with so many thousands of patients imp- improving their experience. And I, I hope that, uh, that they see that we're going to continue with that. Uh, well, I would be glad to reinforce that. I mean, anybody that's waiting a long time and suffering is, is a tragedy. We're not going to, we know there are stories out there. We know we have not dealt with them all. We know, however, we're on the right path to deal with them all. And it'll take a while to, to clean up uh, that wait list. There's no question about it. But we are being relentless about it. Every day of the week, I have a meeting, and I understand many of those cases that people just simply are so patient they don't even complain about. And so I, I just say have a little more faith. Uh, and we've now produced some numbers for the last four months that are showing actual measurable month-on-month improvement. There's no, I see no reason why we can't sustain that. Am I promising that there will be no people on a waiting list? No. I'm promising that we will have them within acceptable clinical recommendations. Mm-hmm. So we'll never get the wait list to zero, but we will get those people waiting too long to zero. That's the goal. And I'm going through, I'm now at the process of getting quite granular. I can probably next time I can talk about which surgeries, cardiovascular surgeries versus orthopedic surgeries, knee surgeries. Yes, he's pointing to his left knee, everybody, and I can relate to a left knee. And people who are waiting with knees are in pain. This is not good enough. We're going to have to get you inside that. That's why we're working so hard to bring on the CSFs, because that's what they're capable of doing. And you don't have to build a whole hospital. Building a community-based accredited uh, surgical facility is relatively simple construction. And so building a huge hospital that's capable of doing heart transplants as well as knees doesn't really make a lot of sense if that resource is willing and able in our community to be mobilized. So that's why we're also waiting for the Enoch Nation to come on with their surgery in a, in a year or two. That'll add more capacity. Um, but you still couldn't go with your Visa card, Rick. You still have to be in a lineup, but we're going to make the lineup very, very smart. With rapid access assessment clinics, getting those really going well. And 
above all else, and the story I want to tell next time, if I can, is how we've got our coordinated centralized booking system so streamlined that the patient, the surgeon, the anesthetist, and the surgical site are all lined up beautifully without glitch. That is where we're going. All right, I do have to head to the phones. We have time for two more questions. Operator, can you put, please put through the first caller? John Braid, Calgary Herald. Uh, Premier, it was only a few months ago that you were um, saying that the, not just the system was broken, but the people in it didn't know what they were doing, and there was a middle layer of people or a layer of bureaucrats that should be out. Uh, they sit around drinking too much latte, apparently, and they should be gone. Uh, and you seem to mean it. I'm just wondering if there has been a clean-out of officials. Uh, John, uh, Dr. Cowell, uh, certainly seems to be of the opinion that they're doing a great job. I wonder what happened to that promise of yours that you were going to uh, kick a bunch of people out. <laughs> There's, there does still need to be a, um, a shoring up of the, the management capacity at the facility level, and uh, there does still need to be a rationalization of what kind of decisions are made centrally versus what kind of decisions are made on a site-based basis. And I, I'm hoping that's what uh, Dr. Cowell will have in his one-year and three-year plan. Our, this 90-day update was to give some confidence to people that the decision-making is going in the right direction. I think our executive leadership team has sorted out a great many problems. I think our frontline health professionals have risen to the occasion. I'll, I'll let Dr. John talk a little bit about the, the, uh, the, the management layers in between and how he's been able to, to motivate setting targets and, and achieving them. But, but my view is I, I wanted to give people a chance. Um, the professionals who are in the system and who have been through the last few years, I think they also know the solutions. And part of it was making sure that we empowered people to make decisions so that we could start seeing incremental improvement and individual site-based changes. And then when something works, it can be applied to something else. And I, I didn't know if that would work. I, I didn't know if there would be enough confidence that we could instill in people so that they could make decisions and know that we would be backing them. And I've, I've been pleasantly surprised and delighted to see that people are rising to the occasion. So, um, so that's, that's my, been my observation over the past three months. Dr. John? Um, just be, you know, when you're in a crisis, uh, which we were in November, and people were saying it's broken, one does not rush to judgment. You've got to take your time to understand what the lay of the land is. I was getting hourly reports from frontline physicians and others who were just beside themselves with pain, really. All that's gone away, by the way. Uh, I'm getting letters of, you know, things are really working. So that gives me the confidence to be confident. Um, but Morrow and I and the executive team are, are looking at the organizational structure and wondering if it is, in fact, set up to, for high, high performance down the road. Again, we're going to be very careful and deliberate about it. We have made some strategic changes, but they're going to be done very carefully, and um, we'll know in due course whether or what those changes are going to look like over the next few months. So, and maybe there will be very few, or maybe there won't be. It depends because we are, what I'm really intrigued with and, wonder, and, and just so delighted with is I'm now down at the hospital level in terms of getting to know people, and I was at the zonal level, and, and I was at the executive level, and people are all pulling together now through the same lens of performance, 
that's really the key that I'm working on right now. Do you have a follow-up, Don? Yes, Premier, uh, could you give us uh, have a few words to say about the health deal today with Ottawa? It sort of came out of the blue a day before the budget, probably not the worst thing that happened to you, to you today. Um, are, are you concerned about any part of this? I notice it's still an agreement in principle, which I take it means it's not uh, signed and sealed or graven in stone yet. Uh, how are you feeling about it in general? Are there any weak spots or any areas you would like to have been better? The only, the only thing I think the premiers were a bit disappointed by is that they had set a, a very high bar for what they wanted the federal government to come to the table with for funding, and it, it, really, it really was a, a, only a fraction of that. But that being said, it's still 518 million new dollars this year that we weren't anticipating. And I'll let Dr. Co- uh, Dr. Copping, Minister Copping, uh, talk about how uh, how he wants to allocate those dollars. But but I can say it was a very positive meeting that we had last week, particularly when we were talking about our approach on mental health and addiction. I think they were floored by the fact that we offer. Uh, uh, as as much um, inpatient beds as we do, that we do it without charge, that we eliminated the $40 user fee and it is offered at no charge, that we have a full suite of metrics so we can show them, going back, I think, uh, to the early two, 2010s, how uh, things have changed over time with the addiction and overdose and ambulance visits. So I think that when the federal government was worried about us being able to demonstrate that dollars are going to be effectively measured for performance, I think we were able to satisfy those concerns because we are, we are so far ahead on metrics relative to other jurisdictions. Uh, so I, I'm not feeling uh, concerned through the process that they want us to do to report our stats through the Canadian Institute for Health Information. That's what we've been doing. I think that we satisfied them that uh, we know what we're doing here. And then it will just get down to detail about, about how it's allocated. But let me hand it over to Minister Copping because I think he's already spent the money. <laughs> I definitely have plans for it, that's for sure. Uh, thanks, Premier. No, the, uh, we had a very good conversation uh, last week, uh, as the uh, Premier indicated. You know, our, it, and really, this will, the additional funding will help us accelerate what we're already doing. Right? So you know, our focus on mental health and addictions, as the Premier indicated, mm-hmm. be able to be able to drive that faster. Uh, our focus on primary care, um, and very pleased, you know, last week able to announce MAPS, uh, and their initial recommendations coming forward from that. So be able to do, be able to put dollars to that. Our focus on, um, you know, health human resources, uh, again, announced our strategy last week. And so additional funding to make sure that we have the people, particularly in rural areas, to be able to provide the services. That's one of the biggest issues that we heard. Uh, and then also in regards to uh, continuing care and our transformation of continuing care to be more home-based care. So there's a lot of, you know, when we, when we had the conversation with the federal government, again, would, would prefer more dollars so we can move, any, move even faster in terms of transformation. Um, but we have a lot of shared uh, interests. Uh, so, you know, looking at the officials are moving forward in terms of getting into the details on that. Uh, and as well, a, you know, a good conversation about, you know, measuring outcomes. Uh, but we do this already in terms of sharing CHI-HI data. Uh, and it's, and it's out, outcome performance measures. But as, you, as you've seen here, you know, like, again, one other thing is, you know, um, you saw the, the initial dollars to be able to look at how do we – you know, um, provide funding into children's hospital and, you know, response to surgeries. Well, we talked about the right right now, and we already have the metrics in place, the outcome metrics, and, and we're going to make them available to, you know, uh, and they already are available to uh, the Alberta public, uh, and then also to Kai High so they can share across. So I'm, I'm at, you know, uh, at this point, I'm not concerned about the conversation. We had a really good conversation. That's why we, we announced an agreement in principle, and I'm looking forward to the officials to finalizing that and the funding so we can actually go spend money uh, and accelerate in these, these areas 
basically supporting the things that we're already doing. All right, I'm going to squeeze in one more question on the phone lines. Uh, operator, go ahead. Michelle Belfontaine, CBC. Oh, hi there. Uh, thanks for taking my question. I'm not sure who this question will be directed at, possibly, probably Dr. Cowell. Um, so in your report, you talk about successes, and you've got, uh, you know, recruiting 28 physicians rural Alberta, added 278 more registered nurses, licensed practical nurses and healthcare aides, and added 48 more allied health professionals, et cetera, et cetera. Are these people working now? Are they, are they already, like, on the job? Um, the 114 nurses in particular are being posted and are getting on the job as we speak. I can't speak specifically. Now, I don't know, Mauro, can you speak specifically to our, each of these nurses on the job? I know for sure the 114 are going on to the job in this month. So referring specifically to what we're going to be doing in the emergency department, the 114 positions are going to be posted in March. Some of the recruitment already underway. The previous postings that we had had and brought on board, if I understand the question correctly, those people are already on the ground and working. Okay. Um, the follow-up now. So they had so the full-time equivalents, the 114, are not starting until next month. Um, so are these? people are they all full-time positions like can you can you give me a sense of like are they some of them part-time like what is the breakdown so the 114 FD would be a combination of part-time and full-time positions we're gauging that carefully obviously to co cover the number of shifts that we need in the hospitals that we're going to be uh, putting the individuals into they can't all be full-time because we wouldn't be able to cover all the shifts and quite frankly all the staff applying for them don't necessarily want to work full-time, so it'll be a combination of both. We don't have the breakdowns as of those of yet, uh, but they'll be within the next couple of weeks. Dr. Kell, can you talk a bit about the functional role those 114 play in the handoff? Yes. I don't know if that, was the, if that was described. I don't know if that was in your question, but I'd be glad to answer that question. The 114 are going to be working right beside the triage nurses, uh, right at the front door of the emergency department in, in our 16 largest hospitals so that they will be very quickly available to take the care from the paramedic that's arrived with the case uh, on their stretcher. It'll, the triage process will always occur uh, between the paramedic and the triage nurse at the front. That usually takes a few minutes at most. At that point, the, 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 the 114 that are being deployed throughout our, 100 and, our 16 major hospitals, I can't tell you specific hospital to hospital to hospital, that's up to the local teams to determine, uh, will immediately take on the care. So I think as uh, Morrow was saying, we've posted them, some are on are onboarding as we speak, and then they'll be fully, we anticipate to be fully onboarded through uh, early parts of March. And undoubtedly by the time we look at our April, our March numbers, uh, in early April, we will see a distinct drop in that EMS hospital time, which is the key measure that we're driving against to get to 45 minutes. Now, if you're asking about all the other nurses that we're taking on throughout the system, that's a complicated question, and I think Moro answered that they're being uh, already redeployed. And, uh, yeah, so they're in play. All right. Thank you, everybody.